Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, it is an absolute joy to round off this season with the incredible podcaster and author Dolly Alderton. Dolly's podcast with Pandora Sykes, The High Low, began back in February 2017 and now reaches an average of 1.2 million downloads a month. Dolly also launched an ancillary podcast to her book, Everything I Know About Love, called Love Stories. So it was really interesting to pick her brains on some of her own loves when it comes to listening habits. And believe me, she doesn't disappoint. Dolly and I chat about some cult classics such as Guys We Fucked, Adam Buxton's podcast, Soul Music, and fortunately with Fee and Jane. This really is one not to miss. Time to get cast away with Dolly. Dolly Alston, welcome to Castaway. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a podcast obsessive. It's like, I think this is very sad. I think it's probably the main conversation <laughs> that I have most days, a one-way conversation where I don't speak. So I love nothing more than talking about podcasts. When did podcasts come into your life? Because I, obviously you have a very successful podcast, but for a lot of people, it's a it's a new phenomenon, but it's actually been around for quite a while. Yeah, I think I started listening to them shortly before I started a podcast. So that was probably mm-hmm. about five and a half years ago. I've been listening to Radio 4 on podcasts for a while. So mm-hmm. it took every bit of will to not include Desert Island Discs on this list, Laura, but <laughs> I just wanged on about it so much. I was like, do you know what? I'm going to change the record. But Desert Island Discs, I've been listening listening to the archive and podcast format mm-hmm. since my early 20s. But I tell you when I really, really ramped it up was when I moved in a flat on my own because I work from home as well. And it's just, I mean, it does sound kind of sad and kind of tragic when I say it, but it really does change the feeling of this home. The fact that most days I'll listen to one or two conversations Mm. either through my speakers or on the phone and it fills the house with human voices. I love that though. And I always think, well, radio, radio is very similar anyway to the former podcast, except for podcasts, you can kind of control how long it is. Radio, you're kind of tied to, to other things, but it's, it's that familiar, that safety. And, and I know during lockdown more than ever, I think a lot of people went back to radio and started mm. podcasts because it's very different than television. It's very different than reading a book. It's it's in your ears. It's so personal. And it is a conversation that you're kind of just joining or eavesdropping on. Yeah. And, and you develop relationships with those people. You know, some of the people that I've been listening to on my favorite podcasts, I've heard them go through a great many things. Things have happened, you know, they've lost parents, they've had children, they've broken up with people. Massive things have changed in their lives. And that feels like that that is a relationship that you have mm-hmm. with someone. It's a very unique relationship. And I actually think it feels almost more intimate than radio because a good podcast really does feel like that person is just speaking to you. 
it's kind of as you're describing there it reminds me of like those needy friends in our life who's like I haven't heard from you for a while like yeah. uh, what are you up to now and it, it is a friendship you know what it's like because you are a podcast fan as well as as making a podcast and you know how how close you get to people who you may have never met before but how do you cope with that and and does it ever does it get overwhelming or sometimes do you go do I just know that person or yeah I mean it's very strange it's very strange but it's never something I'm going to complain about you know, mine and Pandora's case, we don't actually really talk about our personal lives at all on the high-low anymore, which I think is a symptom of it getting a bit bigger and us feeling like we needed to be protect ourselves a bit more. Was that intentional? Yeah, 100% yeah, intentional. Yeah. yeah. But also I think it's just a symptom of getting older. Like it's really as simple as that. I think as you get older, you do just naturally become a bit more private. And I was someone who really did kind of turn their life inside out for everyone to examine, you know, through a lot of my work in my twenties. And when I think back, when I started that podcast, I was 27, I think I'm now 32 Pandora's had two kids. She's published a book. She's got married. I've published two books. I've moved out from flat sharing with girls. I've moved house three times in that time. And now I live on my own. These are big things that have changed in our lives. And we've really grown up as we've recorded this podcast. It's a wonderful piece of history is way too grandiose. But I think this a lot when I listen to the podcast that I'll be talking about today, that it is a amazing document of people particularly coming out of their 20s and going into their 30s, I think. So I think with all that in mind, I understand why people react a certain way when they meet me and they recognise my voice from the podcast. Do you have people speak to you? Because the relationship between the public and you now is, is quite long running and you are someone who's very warm and convivial and conversational. Do you find a routine in the way that people approach you when you're out and about? I think it depends on how people would know me. Like it's really like you can, if someone knows me from like MTV days, it's really funny when someone knows you from your Instagram. Oh, I know you from Instagram. <laughs> like what? <laughs> that feels like, yeah, it just feels like such a weird way. I'm like, okay, that's not my job, but okay. But then also how I will do an interview or how I talk to people on interviewing on MTV or interviewing on a red carpet or be it on radio on Five Live is very different to how I interview someone on a podcast. And mm. I will I don't know like sometimes I'll go and do a podcast and I will say so many things Dolly that I never intended on saying and like give away so much but I also feel like I can do that because it feels different like if I did it on BBC or ITV I would never say some of the things that I would have said on this space because it feels safer I don't know why it feels safer but it does I know what you mean I mean the thing is with traditional broadcasting is you are addressing the nation I mean you've got that old school broadcasty thing in your head where you're like you know, you're only talking to Miriam in her kitchen or whatever. But really, I mean, I, I really haven't done much broadcasting like that. And you're obviously like an expert in it. But I imagine there is always this like third eye sense of I'm addressing a, a, a collective and a country. And I think you don't you don't feel that with a podcast. And actually, I think that's not got me in trouble before. But it's something I've had to really watch because my natural inclination, whether it is sitting next to someone at a dinner who I don't know or making small talk with my postman or whoever like I Mm. I, I do really like honest intimate conversation and I do like hearing the details of people's lives and I like showing the details of my life and it's really like I'm going through and have gone through since my memoir came out like quite a radical shift that's been quite a slow incremental movement of realizing 
not only for my career, but for my happiness, for everything, for what just feels right for maturity, I do need to just close up slightly and Mm -hmm. be personable without being personal. The meaning and the intent and the tone can't really be fucked about with on a podcast. Mm. And for that reason, I think it does feel more democratic as a place to get your message known or make yourself known or, or explain your work. I agree with you. It does feel, it feels safer. Feel safer, even though I do reveal too much sometimes, way too much. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, Desert Island Discs and it's just such a good escapism and it's yeah. just, it brings you to the whole of the world. And what I loved was, was being surprised by what people listen to and it's never what you expect. And I think that's what podcasting as well. I think you can tell a lot about a person by what they listen to, by what they watch, by what they're drawn to, by the stories that intrigue them, which is why I love I love doing this. And I'm like, I want to get in the head of Dolly. I want to know what I want to know what, what she's <laughs> listening to, what she recommends. I totally agree with that. And actually I was rereading High Fidelity by Nick Hornby oh, recently. Amazing. Such yeah. a good book. I mean, oh, I God. first read it when I was a teenager. So I think I thought that I was being very sophisticated and I understood it. But obviously, I don't think anyone had like even touched my boob at this point when I read it. So <laughs> I obviously had no understanding of what this very like complex examination of men and women was actually mm-hmm. about. And I love that that main character, Rob, even though it's seen as like quite a hateful thing about him, I really identify with that he was like the measure of a man is their record collection, you know, the, mm-hmm. the way that he mm-hmm. connects with people and unfairly judges them and evaluates them, you know, and discriminates against them slightly unfairly. But the way he the way he connects with people basically and understands people is the thing that turns them on, the culture that turns them on, the music that turns them on. And for me, uh, that is always the thing that has uh, that I'm most interested in when I meet humans. It's not mm. you don't need to tell me who you are, tell me what you like. I'm going to judge you now by what you like. So get ready for this. <laughs> but it's okay. So first of all, we've got a list here of recommendations and quite an eclectic mix. Where where do you listen to podcasts? So when I'm listening to Terry Gross or On Fresh Air or Desert Island Discs or long form podcasts or This American Life, the, the kind of more focused, quite strategic designed interviews I like to do that while lying on my sofa or having a bath. And that is a real treat for me. Mm -hmm. And because I really want to focus. There are other podcasts that is more like how I listen to Radio 4 that's warm and familiar, sort Mm -hmm. of bubbling babble, which is not to undermine the content. But the thing that I get pleasure from is not necessarily the specific things that they're revealing within the episode. It's more hearing voices of old friends. So that's the thing that I'll listen to when I'm cooking or doing laundry or doing errands. And then there's this like other tier of podcasts, which is normally the podcast episodes that I love so much. I go back and listen to like favorite albums and they're the ones that I'll listen to when I want to zone out, but I want to feel the just total, like a blanket of familiarity. I totally get you. I've got different podcasts for different times of the day, different things. I remember we had Rosie Ramsey on recently and I always tried to listen to any new suggestions and she'd recommended this podcast called Man at the Window, which I'm not going to lie Ooh. is it's about it's about the Golden State Killer. Don't listen to that oh, before God. bed. I was like trying to listen to an episode before bed. I was like, well, this is like the worst thing I could do. I'm like, this is a daytime <laughs> podcast, daytime podcast when I'm with people. 
I'm exactly the same. I'm like, you know, when Joey Tribbiani gets scared and he has to put the book in the freezer. Yeah, The Shining. Yeah, I was like that West Cork and cereal. I was like, this is a strictly before mid-afternoon podcast. Right, let's get straight into your podcast. And we're going to go into Fortunately with Fee and Jane, which is great because they're from Radio 5 Live, which I'm a fan of. Talk to me about this podcast because this is a new one for me. Oh, Laura, you're going to love it. I am evangelical about this podcast so I first heard about it when Pandora my co-host actually she said to me there's this podcast and it's so funny every time I listen to it I really really think it's up your street I'm a very very stubborn person when lots of people are telling me to watch or listen or or listen to or read something I just don't want to do it Laura I don't know why (laughs) I really hate it about what I love your honesty these two women I think they're both in their 50s are like the best stand-up comedians I've ever... They're funnier than any stand-ups that I've heard on a comedy Mm -hmm. podcast. And that kind of comedy chops where it's so off the cuff and it's so relaxed and it's so not trying to prove a point because that's not their job. They're not comedians. They don't need to get laughs per minute. They're just really, really witty women. They have a great rapport. They're quite caustic, but they're also very warm. And it's just... It's that kind of like, you know, a really skillful comic mind who can talk about, you know, I remember there's one episode that I listened to where they, they spoke about, it must have been about 15 minutes, the, the weird, like, fluffy matter that you get in your cutlery drawer. And that sort of like live at the Apollo tight 10 humour just absolutely turns my stomach, the thought of it. But for some reason, these two <laughs> were so funny about what this fluff is that you get in your cutlery drawer. And I like regularly go back and listen to it. They've just, they're really, really sharp. And every Friday afternoon, I literally watch the clock, which I don't have with any other podcast. I watch the clock until it's only about three o'clock. It pops up and I cannot wait to listen to these two lovely, clever, wise, hilarious women just be really fucking funny with each other. That's fortunately with Fee and Jane and an incredible recommendation. Going back to your podcast with two incredible women also. And you, one thing which I always love, because you talk about the high-low. So you talk about the high-brow and the low-brow. And and I think that's mm. the joy, even with a podcast recommendations, what we listen to. We can listen to so many different things. We care about so many different things. And with your podcast, everything from Black Lives Matters to Selling Sunset. Like I care about both things and that is okay. And I think sometimes... In this industry, you kind of have to pick a box as to who you are. And I think it's very important Mm. to be interested in numerous things. And I think that's one thing that you guys always seem to kind of push and show and highlight. You can be smart and care about Love Island. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for saying that, because that really was the kind of founding ethos of the podcast is we wanted to look at the whole spectrum of culture and news stories and you know, brows that are high and low and tones that are high and low, things that are, you know, celebratory and things that are more grave. And for one, not to offset or disrespect or confuse Mm. the other and to marry those tones and enjoy that mesh. We can talk like, so the title is Selling Sunset, the gendered double standard of care work and how often should you clean Mm. your knicker drawer? And when people want to be particularly snide about the high-low. I think what they like to think is that that we think all three of those things are all equally as important as each other. 
that that's upsetting to me because actually the point of the show was it's about looking at serious things with curiosity and a lightness of touch that doesn't mean with ignorance and it doesn't mean with dismissing tone it means with curiosity it means with an open mind and also looking at the more trivial things particularly something like selling sunset something in pop culture which is like everyone is focused on looking at that with a more kind of forensic maybe even kind of academic Mm -hmm. eye like I think that's a really interesting way of looking at those big pop culture moments that may be more lowbrow I mean I just don't Mm -hmm. like snobbery full stop to be honest particularly when it's culture that is like so captured the attention of the mainstream so that's the thing that I think I really appreciate when Mm -hmm. we listen to the high low understand that that mixture is it's not accidental it's not two girls just like grabbing around in the ether to find just like random things that we think might make us look important or serious or on the pulse it's not it's like a very carefully edited selection that's meant to kind of showcase the whole spectrum of everyday life and the things that we enjoy I'm trying to put it slightly more delicately than the person who wrote very expensive but very disgusting houses in their review but they're not necessarily um the loveliest looking houses but they right. are very, very expensive. So, you know, they're very modern. They're very polished. Like, I think there's two parts of the appeal. Part of the appeal is that they're just, it's just so strange. It's so strange how expensive they are. And it's so strange uh, the kind of lifestyle it is because it's so far removed from what, you know, houses look like in the UK. Yeah. Or probably, yeah. to be fair, the rest of the USA. The other thing that I do think is very attractive and I do love about this because this is not the case on any other reality show that I can think of is that they all have jobs they work their asses off and they're really motivated by money but specifically earning their own money don't know if it's the first Pandora I know I'm biased because I did work on the show but Jamie Lang was selling those sweets for candy kittens back in 2013 and you know what I think he's been really successful with those because I bought some mango ones in Sainsbury's yesterday they're good aren't they they're really good those sweets Yes, they are. I think they're about three ninety nine per suite, but they are very good. <laughs> I think as well as really important, what you've done with your audience and the platform you've created is not to alienate people as well. I think there's a lot of, especially when it comes to news and current affairs, a lot of people feel alienated from what's going on in the news. They feel like the news doesn't mean anything to them and they don't connect with it. And I think mm. having a space where you can talk about things which are really important and talk about things which are culturally important and, and interest people, having that space for everything just gets people more interested. And, and I want to move on to your next podcast, which is a, a great suggestion because we haven't talked about it before on this podcast. And it's basically changing the way society thinks about female sexuality. And it's called Guys We Fucked. Yes. And it's been going for a while since 2013. And talk to me about this podcast and why you chose it. So I love this podcast. It's again hosted by two women, Christina Hutchinson and Corinne Fisher, who are both comedians based in New York. And the premise for the podcast came up kind of like a high fidelity uh, story, actually. It came up because Corinne was dumped by the love of her life I think they've been together for like five years out of nowhere she had her heart broken in a Panera bread which I think is the equivalent of like a a pizza express (laughs) and she was devastated by it and she you know had that year that everyone has after that kind of out of the blue Mm. heartbreak where 
you're kind of retracing your steps and trying to work out where where the cracks began and where it went wrong. So she decided to do a, a John Cusack in High Fidelity and she decided to go back and speak to all her ex-boyfriends and not just ex-boyfriends, past loves, one night stands, people she's flirted with, sexual encounters to try and piece together the patterns of her behavior in love and sex. And those interviews are what started the podcast and her co-host Christina did the same. So it was kind of like a joint venture for both of them of self-discovery, but actually it's kind of it's so recognizable, the stuff that they talk about. It's kind of cathartic for mm-hmm. all their listeners as well, I think, where they go through the mistakes they've made, the people they've been with, the heartbreak they've felt, the hearts that they've broken. And that's how it began. And then I think they obviously ran out of guys they touched <laughs> at some point because it's been going for years and years and years. So it became more of a, just a sex yeah. positive podcast, which is a phrase I'm always quite cautious about using because I, I find it you know, I think being sex positive is sort of like being chocolate positive or eight hours sleep positive, like everyone's sex positive. (laughs) Everyone, everyone enjoys that activity for the most part. But I think they're kind of, it's the anti-slut shaming Mm -hmm. podcast. So they're keen to kind of destigmatize sexuality in a way that even for me as someone who I think that is quite liberal, I've realized since listening to this podcast that I definitely have weird shame and hangups about things and I'm much more easily shocked than I thought I would be. And it's been really good listening to all sorts of conversations between sex workers, other comedians, porn stars. They also do a lot. They talk a lot about sexual assault. They speak a lot to sexual assault survivors. It's just all these conversations being given oxygen. And I've learned so much about sexuality and desire and power and abuse indeed and these are just all conversations that I think are so helpful my question is since you both obviously think about sex with exes like all the time (laughs) yeah I guess uh do you think speaking about sex with exes with my girlfriend would make her all confused to see me turned on while she talked about sex with not me uh not at all I think that we both have that kind of fetish, right, Corinne? You and I both kind of really like when I like imagining or picturing my boyfriend fucking other women. Not all the time. This is is specific, though, because this is sex with exes. I I don't really, really, I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about sex with someone that you haven't had sex with that we both mutually know. Right, because anytime Stephen has talked about sex with his ex-girlfriend, we had his ex-girlfriend on like, I don't know, three episodes ago. Right. That was fine. And like, there was one time we were out at the tab- table and she and Lindsay was there and he was like, remember when I was going down on you and I dislocated my shoulder? And I was like, ha ha, I don't care about that anymore. I'm in the yeah. picture. Me. So that pissed me off. But if you, I think if you do fetish that, if that does turn you on, specifically with an ex, then just tell her to keep talking. Yeah. I don't think, if I was the girl, I wouldn't be weirded out because I would associate that with like, I like thinking of my spouse or boyfriend or whatever talking, like fucking other people. <laughs> I guess an ex is a little digging a little. It deeper. depends. For me, there's usually one ex that I am super jealous of, but only me one. Too. <laughs> in every situation, there's always that one ex that you yep, that you're like, like you've uh, convinced she's... yourself they're still in love with that person, even though they're not. I mean, sometimes I'm I'm usually I'm usually still in love with the the other boyfriend. <laughs> I'm usually so <laughs> who is a mysterious man clearing his throat. I have no idea. Anyway, I'm usually so in love with the previous boyfriend, like six months into the new relationship. Usually, Re- yeah, yeah. Uh, it depends. That, I guess unless I like totally dump the guy. If I, I usually have so much space in between my relationships that yeah. I like have time to like fuck other people and get over it. 
Yeah, I, 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 well, I I go on the fuck fest and then I get sad. I've never been, I've never been turned on by a boyfriend talking about it. Yeah, I've never been turned on by a boyfriend talking about an ex. No, I don't want to actually get like jealous. I just, just I'm like straight up get jealous and it makes me pissed off that I'm jealous. I like to hear things they did just so I know what we're working with. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Like what I'm up against. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The next podcast I want to talk about is the longest running one that you've mentioned. And I actually didn't realize how long it's been going for because I got into it about two years ago or so but it's here's the thing with Alec Baldwin and well we do mention like everyone has a podcast and you always wonder you know when you have like an actor who's probably so used to being interviewed all the time when they turn the tables and they become the interviewer and Mm. I talked about this about David Tennant because I just think he's the best interviewer because he doesn't really say much and he gets so much out of the people he talks to and Mm. now we want to talk about Alec Baldwin because I know he can probably split opinions, but I love Alec Baldwin as an interviewer. I'm so pleased to hear that, Laura, because I feel like I am an Alec Baldwin podcast apologist everywhere I go. I feel like people have really Don't taken... Don't apologise for I it. know. I think pe- people have really... It's not actually lots of people, but I think it's a lot of people of our generation, maybe, because he's got quite an old school style about old school, him, isn't the way it, yeah. he conducts conversations. Yeah. It's not the only interviewing style that I like, but I... I like it. And, you know, there's something about he's such a New Yorker. When you hear that Miles Davis soundtrack mm-hmm. that begins, he's got this beautiful, like, velvety delivery. He is quite lovey-ish. lovey-ish. He is quite, you know, flirty and, I don't know, very charming with his guests. He wants warmth. Yeah. He wants mm-hmm. connection. He's not, you know, hard-hitting. He's not, like, challenging, I don't think, really. But for me, when I'm walking around Camden Town on like a rainy day in February and I'm listening to that, it feels glamorous and authoritative and confident and I just really enjoy listening He's to also it. just got a great voice, just he the does. sound of it. It's just sometimes you just want someone who's just got a great voice and... I mean, he's such a well-known actor and you, you forget, it's so recognisable. The minute he opens his mouth, you're like, that's Alec Baldwin. And I feel he's going to he's gonna control mm. the situation. He's just got that presence. I totally agree. You feel like you're in a really safe pair of hands with him as a mm-hmm. broadcaster. And he also, because probably of his profile, he pulls in really mm. big names. And the other thing I like about him, because he's obviously not a journalist, he's not interested in this idea really of like the, the like topical interview like sometimes he is like he'll do a kind of controversial zoom chat with Mm. Woody Allen when his memoir came out and to be fair to him what your opinions are on Woody Allen or not or whether you think he should be given a platform 
I didn't see any other podcast interviews with Woody Allen mm. during that time. And he he does go to places that maybe more journalistic broadcasters would be more nervous or self-conscious to go to, or people who maybe are more embedded in the Twitter sphere. And he does just get these interviews, even if it's nothing to do with anything, Debbie Reynolds or Spike Lee or Julie Andrews, people who don't have work coming out that week that they're talking about, but these like great, great figures of classic popular culture. It was initially supposed to be two series, but now seven years later, over 150 interviews, it's really? still going. Tell me which ones are your, have you got any favourites? Was it Billy Joel he had on? Did you hear that one? Yeah, I mean, even for me, Laura, that got a bit lovely. It's when they started <laughs> doing that bloody sing-along around oh, the piano. I'm, I'm so sorry. for that. I'm so for that. I needed that in my life at that time. So I was all, all about that. I just wish I was there. But that's the thing. You do feel like you're there. That's, it's different than watching a TV show. Like you kind of feel like you're eavesdropping yes. and you're part of it. Drummer couldn't figure out what, what to play. Phil actually told him, play a backwards samba. Boom. Da boom. Bop. Boom. Cha boom. Plataka. Boom. Boom. And it worked. It was like a backwards song. <laughs> what are we doing? We didn't know what we were doing. But Phil was right. Uh, I came in with the idea of playing uh, Only the Good Die Young as a reggae. Come out, Virginia. Don't let me wait. The Catholic girl start much too late. <laughs> Liberty throws his sticks at me. He goes, why are you doing you, you The closest you've been to Jamaica is Queens. <laughs> What are you doing? It's changing trains to go down to Seaford. Change at Jamaica. Change at Jamaica. So the train to Spionk. That's it. He said, uh, I'm not playing this. I'm not playing it. What are we going to do? So Phil came up with this shuffle against straight fours. And the uh, guitars are going, banana, banana, banana. (laughs) And and we were playing it. And it worked. It was like two things jammed into each other. Phil knows how to do that. And when we would get tired or we get discouraged, he'd say, just stay. Stay a little longer. Try one more. All right, take a break. Let's have some Chinese. Okay? Uh, Go back in. The post-Chinese food takes were always good. (laughs) I don't know why that was. Yeah, that MSG, man. It gets gets right into the fingertips. (laughs) It worked. Yeah. I want to talk about another podcast, Soul Music, because this came as a Radio 4 format and and I'm a huge fan of music. But tell me specifically what this is about. So Soul Music, the episodes are kind of like semi-precious gems. They come out so rarely and no offence to Radio 4, so randomly (laughs) that when you see them come up in your podcast you know when you subscribe and these things come up and when it comes up and you get a notification it is like finding a pearl in an oyster Mm -hmm. and it's basically a half hour episode focusing on a song and sometimes it very very rarely will have any interviews with the singer or the writer of the song sometimes it will have the composer or the lyricist of the song but Really, it's not the origin story. There's always a tiny bit of reference to where the song began and what the meaning of it is. But the focus of soul music is it's normally about three case studies of people for whom that song changed their life or marks a momentous moment in their life. And I find it so moving, Laura. It's, I think, music for me... Well, I say this like this is a really individual thing. I think this is the same f- for most people. If I were to look back at phases of my life or when sad things happen or when 
happy things happen or certain relationships I've had or, you know, big swathes of my childhood. It is the the door into it is through a track or an album. Mm -hmm. And as you say, Desert Island Discs, famous people get to do that. That's great. I love famous people. That's fab. But there's something about just ordinary everyday people and families and couples and friendships and how music and albums have been kind of sewn into the lining of of their life and and their relationships. I love that sewn into the lining of their life. Oh, speak so elegantly. <laughs> this is why you're such a good writer. I'm speaking fucking guff. <laughs> what I mean is, so an example is they did an episode on the Leonard Cohen song Alleluia, mm. and it begins with a man hearing that song on a rooftop when he was a very lost teenage boy. And then he talks about how that song became this, he fell in love and this relationship sort of saved him. And then that became their song and they revisit this story throughout. So it's like they kind of drip feed the stories throughout this half hour. And then the ending of the episode and of his story is that they had a little girl and they called her Alleluia. It's like, even now just talking about Mm. it, it's like making my hair stand on end. Like these songs and these melodies and these lyrics that, help us give us language for our experiences and our feelings and I think that's the amazing thing about music really is that it articulates sonically or lyrically the very confusing mulchy mess of being human that obviously is like so complicated it's often quite hard to describe to people Mm -hmm. what it is or how it makes you feel and soul music has just found a way of describing that process for people it has no presenter it just features the voices weaving in and out which I think works as well and the reason why it takes so long for episodes to come out it's actually one person who makes the whole thing apparently really so it was documented I think back two years ago they said it's only one person who makes a whole episode and sometimes an episode can take up to five years to compile oh that does not surprise me it's because it these these stories are not lightly sourced. Yeah. They're, they're, I don't know how they find these people in these stories. And they're always just so varied. Like they did an episode on God Only Knows, that Beach Boys album, <gasps> that Beach Boys song. <laughs> and obviously that. that song is like one of the most romantic songs in the whole world. It must be, everyone must have a story or a relationship yeah. or a moment where they have that song, a memory with that song. So to find something fresh in in terms of the connections people have to that song and they go through all these various stories of why that song means so much and then there was one couple I remember where they were both devout Christians and it was both their first relationship and their you know the other the third person in this marriage and the thing that that made this relationship sacred was their belief in this God and that then, for God only knows, to become their song, the couple with those beliefs, mm-hmm. that that belief system that they live by, you know, that then suddenly becomes a completely different song. And I'm not surprised as you, like, I'm so pleased you've told me that about how long it takes mm-hmm. to make it, because it does feel like an artwork, like you can feel the care that has gone into it. The final podcast I want to talk about is Adam Buxton, because he kind of is the podcast king, isn't he? I love him because he likes dogs as well. Because how he starts the show with Rosie, just going for a little Yeah, walk. he loves that dog. What is it? It's a Whippet Poodle Cross. I found myself <laughs> Googling it quite a lot. <laughs> that is an odd looking dog. 
he went to school with Louis Theroux and Joe Cornish, who's a guy who directed like Hot Fuzz and Attack the Block and all those films. So I love when he gets, because Louis Theroux's done it a few times now, hasn't he? Mm. And it's just, you just see a different side to Louis Theroux. Like rather than like yeah. the documentary maker, you kind of see, oh, this is what you were like as a kid growing up and just kind of the two of them messing with each yeah. other. And yeah, what is it? What is it about Adam Buxton that you love so much? Very simple, tremendously silly and for me, I think I'm always going to find pranks funny. I'm always going to like robot voices. I'm always going to like incredibly stupid wordplay and puns. Mm-hmm. There's just a real daftness in, well, I think it's in most people, isn't it? Mm. But it's so stimulated and satisfied for me, <laughs> like the Adam Buxton podcast. And actually, interestingly, one of my best, best friends is an incredibly silly irreverent person and she just does not get it she cannot because I listen to Adam Buxton that back catalogue all the time and I'm always recommending it to people and I'm always referencing it and I've really tried to get her into it and she just doesn't get it she just she just finds it just like puerile (laughs) and flippant and just dumb and I, I I'm so frustrated I'm always like no she hasn't quite got the right episode I need to get her to the bit where Louis Theroux is singing yes there I boogie like I just need to get her to the right bit and finally I'll get her on side and I really want us to enjoy this together and she's just not having any of it and actually I think the reason might be is she doesn't have brothers and I think mm. there's something about if you've grown up with a boy I've got a little brother mm-hmm. very I mean little he's 30 and six or seven <laughs> but I think that there's like the main connection between my brother and I, even now as two very different people is just, we're so childish Mm. together and our humor is still so silly. And even our emotional dynamic, I think is so like fucking embarrassingly petulant. I'm the most immature in my life with my brother. And I think it will be the same when we're in our seventies. So I think there's something about Adam Buxton that just like feels very familiar to me. Um, How are you feeling after your monster drink? Are You're you right. It really gets weird. Uh, the last sip I had, the second half of the of the taste was really odd. But I think it's done the job. It's yeah. It's very syrupy. Mm. I feel anxious now, though. I don't know if it's what we've been talking about or if it's the if it's the drink. We were talking about singing, weren't we? Yeah. And d- one thing I wanted to mention is that uh, I don't really, you know, I don't have a strong voice, but I've got this weird thing where I'm quite comfortable in the falsetto uh, range. Oh, really? So that I can... Um, yeah, I like a bit of falsetto. I'm much more comfortable and I feel that my vo- I'm totally in command of my instrument. <laughs> How high do you go? Uh, not as high as I used to, but... <clears throat> I'd rather have an actual song. Um... Well, what's your... Do you do falsetto when you do karaoke? Well, I do, yes. What's, I do... Um, what's your go-to karaoke it's Baccarat, um, yes. yes, Sir, I Can Boogie. Uh-huh. Do you know it? Sure. Have a go. Oh, yes, sir, I can boogie. Yeah. But I need a... Southern song, I, I can, can boogie, boogie, woogie, <laughs> all night long. Oh, yes, sir, I can boogie, <laughs> but I need a Southern song, I can boogie, boogie, woogie. It's a very clean. It's a very clean sound, and but that's off key, isn't it? 
I think I just woke a baby up somewhere. <laughs> I don't think it's off key. I think it's whatever. I think it's it's on key. Why does that make me laugh so much? It, I think it's it's the key of mirth, certainly, but it's not. Oh yes, sir. <laughs> I could do that all night. Yeah, actually, the the longer you do it, the better you feel. It's like songs and music. It's all relative. Yeah. And it's the same thing with podcasts. It's what you kind of connect to. And that's the beauty of storytelling and stories. Just some stories will work with some people and not with others. I think what it does is reassure me that it doesn't matter how good the work is that I create and the things that I create. The way people relate to it, mm-hmm. it is it, you do bring so much of your own stuff. And it doesn't mean they're wrong and it doesn't mean they're right. It means that something specific in something I've created is getting in touch with something specific that Mm -hmm. they've experienced or recognized in them. And it's so personal. So it's really useful to remember that, I think, when when you're putting work out into the world. Well, that is what you do. You put work out in the world. You are a storyteller and that's what podcasts are. They're stories to different degrees, fiction, nonfiction. Yeah. And I guess so much of your writing was based on your own experiences. And now you've written a novel. How do you find writing nonfiction oh, versus fiction? Oh, I loved fiction? it so much. I loved it. I keep saying this and I think my publicist will get annoyed with me how I keep saying this, but I just really hope it doesn't bomb Laura because I just I found the thing that I want to do forever. It's like, It was the greatest pleasure of my life writing that novel mm-hmm. and I, I really, really would love to just keep doing it again and again and again. Before I let you go, tell me about ghosts. So ghosts, oh, I always sound so miserable when I talk about the plot of it. Ghosts is about a woman who's been in a relationship for the majority of her 20s, has had a couple of years on her own and gets to her early 30s and decides it's time to date again Mm. and look for a partner. But she's never done online dating. She's never really dated full stop. She was with her university boyfriend for a really long time. So she kind of tentatively enters the world of online dating and all the language and games and rules and rituals that you learn on the job as it were Mm. and she meets someone on her first date that she goes on she ends up getting into a quite intense relationship with them so it follows that relationship and that journey she's also dealing with a sick parent her father has dementia so she's kind of trying to work out what their relationship will be like as he goes further and further into this illness and the person he will become and who she needs to be for him while also dealing with her friends' lives all suddenly changing very, very quickly. So it sounds quite miserable uh, and you just have to trust me (laughs) when I say that it is funny as well. You find humour in the worst things that happen in life though. That's what I find. That's the funniest things that happen. And actually, speaking of podcasts, today I was listening to Joan Rivers on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, like Mm -hmm. an old archive interview. And they play this clip of her making a joke in a stand-up show where she says, I don't like kids. The only kids that I like are the ones that don't speak. It was a bad taste joke. Mm. And this man heckled her from the audience and said if you had a deaf kid you wouldn't you wouldn't say that and she just shouts him and says I had a deaf mother and this is how we deal with life and this is how we process things we have to find humor in the darkest in the darkest darkest corners of life and I I am inclined to agree with her 
I think that's beautifully put. Dolly Alston, thank you so much for joining me on Castaway. Thank you for your recommendations. Thank you for your podcast and best of luck with Oh, thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. This has been my dream conversation. If you ever want to just talk about (laughs) podcasts over wine, I'd be very happy to. That's what we're missing out. We're missing the wine. I knew something was missing. And that's it. Another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that, sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.